Welcome back to another episode of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 119 and it's with the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Specialist at Minnesota United, Adam Parr. So Adam came on to talk about a number of things including constraints on the MLS and also on his role uh, due to covid we spoke about the challenges faced when he was in the, the MLS bubble. Lessons from 2020, because I'm sure it's a year that we can all reflect on and, and take things forward, um, hopefully with no virus. But obviously, there's a lot of lessons along the way. He also spoke about advice to students to thrive in a high-performance environment. So some of the advice that he gives when speaking to students, which I think is really important because as we all know, there's many things that happen and Adam covers a lot of them in this episode that we're not necessarily prepared for coming out of a degree or a master's um, that happens a lot in professional sport. And this year, I think, or 2020 even, has been the definition of that. So a big thank you to Adam uh, for coming on the podcast. And I also just want to say a big thank you to Walter Grandes as well, um, who got in touch after we did his podcast to, to recommend Adam as a guest. Um, and he certainly delivered on the podcast as well. So big thank you to Walter. And just off the back of that, if anyone has got any recommendations, we've got a few recommendations recently and I really appreciate everyone getting in touch. We've had a few emails and messages on the social media of potential guests. So please reach out if you can think of someone that would suit coming on and speaking to our audience um, and, and um, giving their, their experience and their knowledge to the podcast, then please reach out and let me know and I'll do my best to get them on the podcast. Please make sure as well you're subscribed to the podcast. So on iTunes, Spotify, um, make sure you subscribe so you get the latest podcast as soon as it comes out. And also, we've had a few more people joining um, or following our YouTube page as well. So if you're not sure and you haven't watched any of the podcasts, um, the video versions of the podcast do go onto our YouTube channel. So go to fo- uh, just search Football Fitness Federation on YouTube and you can go back and watch the podcasts, a lot of the recent podcasts as well as listening to them as well. So make sure you go and subscribe to our YouTube page as well. As always, big thank you to you guys for listening and tuning into the podcast. And here is episode 119 with Adam Parr. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 119. I'm joined today by the Assistant Strength and Conditioning Specialist at Minnesota United Football Club, Adam Parr. Adam, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really honored to be on and I'm looking forward to having a good discussion with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on, mate. And obviously it's come off the back of a chat with, with Walter Grandes. So you, you, you and Walter, have you worked together, crossed paths somewhere along your careers? Yeah, so actually um, when I was living in Los Angeles, uh, he was finishing out, I think, his undergrad at, at Cal State Northridge out there. Um, and I was working in the private sector at that time and actually was <laughs> trying to hire him on uh, for a company that I was working with uh, that, that I was a part owner in. Um, and so we, we got to know each other a little bit and then ran into each other, I think at the LA galaxy sports science symposium and kind of have just kept in touch ever since. And, um, he's reached out to me several times uh, over the past couple of years when, you know, and just, we've had discussions regarding, uh, career moves and, and how to get into, uh, MLS and things like that, and just kind of where to go and what to do and, and getting GPS experience. And 
I've been in a lot of the places that he was when he was kind of going through his, uh, his process of getting to where he is now. So um, yeah, we've, we've had a good uh, kind of networking relationship over the years and he's, he's a really good dude. It's important that as well, isn't it? We've touched on that a lot in the podcast to so have people that you can reach out to and the strength of your yeah. network. And I know you've had a lot going on uh, recently, Adam. I know that you've just come off the back of a super long drive, which I know you might touch on in a little bit. Um, but do you want to just kick us off, mate, with uh, your background? So where you've been, um, previous job roles up to what you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm like you said, I'm currently the, uh, the strength basically the strength coach for Minnesota United. Um, and then I'm also this past season was the interim um, head fitness coach and also the sports scientist. And I'll kind of get into how that happened. I, I wound up doing three roles with the club. Um, but in general, way back a while ago now, um, I did my bachelor's uh, in kinesiology at San Diego State University. Um, and then shortly after that, I wound up in LA and um, I was working in the private sector there, but wound up getting a, a position as the sports science intern with a, a team in LA in major league soccer um, called Chivas USA, which actually no longer exists. Um, and uh, the, the ownership sold it and a new ownership came in and rebranded it as LAFC. Uh, so for those of you who follow MLS now, um, it was the former team before LAFC. Um, so I was there for two seasons um, working as a sports science intern and kind of an, um, an assistant uh, to Jim Liston, who was the head of strength conditioning there. And then a new owner came in and kind of cleared everybody out. And that whole uh, staff wound up going to uh, the MLS team in Toronto and they didn't have a full-time position for me up there. So I wound up not going, stayed in LA and continued on in the private sector. Cause I was doing it, <coughs> excuse me, uh, part-time uh, for a while. And, and I had my own, uh, fitness, personal training, sport performance company in Beverly Hills. Um, and so I did that. I, I actually ran that kind of part-time for eight or nine years. And then for a while it was full-time, um, was also working at some performance centers there. Um, but really had the itch. I, I, I wanted to get back in the team setting, um, knew that that was kind of where uh, my passion lie. And uh, so I wound up uh, doing the master's of high-performance sport through uh, Australian Catholic University, ACU, because I wanted to um, kind of upskill myself in a lot of areas that I had missed out on over the years from not being in the team setting, um, especially the sports science side and, um, you know, the data management and load management and, and a lot of things that had kind of come about since I had been working uh, or since I had left MLS. Um, and then through that, uh, wound up going up to uh, a team in Reno, Nevada, uh, and it was a, a second division team. And we were basically the feeder team into the major league soccer team in San Jose, the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, and a buddy of mine who I'd worked with down at Chivas uh, was the head athletic trainer at San Jose. And so he uh, basically, we were talking at a sports science conference, uh, the one in LA that I mentioned earlier. And he basically said, Hey, you know, we need a strength coach and a sports scientist with our team in Reno. Um, and we'd love to have you kind of go there and, and it would fulfill a, an internship role, but basically you'll run the whole department, you know, for your internship. And then um, as long as you don't screw it up, we're going to hire you on full time. Um, and so I want to be in there for, two seasons uh, as the head of strength conditioning um, and uh, data analytics. And so I basically did everything uh, for the club. I was the only kind of performance person. And after the second season, uh, wound up having some, some interest from some MLS clubs and interviewing with them and was offered the role here uh, in, uh, or in Minnesota uh, with, uh, with United as the assistant strength conditioning specialist, but basically the strength coach. 
And so I took that on uh, and I moved to Minnesota about a year ago. Um, and then obviously we had uh, this season that was unprecedented uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but yeah, so I was originally hired as the strength coach in Minnesota. Um, and then due to two staff departures, um, I wound up doing three different roles, uh, the strength coach, the head fitness coach, um, and also the sports scientists. Um, and so not exactly what I had signed up for uh, when I first was offered the job there, but because of uh, because of COVID and um, a hiring freeze uh, because of um, any sort of budget issues, they basically said, hey, you know, we need you to do all three of these roles for, for the rest of the season. Um, and so I was prepared for it because I'd done, you know, all of those roles before at lower levels and whatnot. So, um, you know, I told them I could do it and it was going to be uh, tough, but, you know, I want to wound up doing, I think, a pretty good job because we had the best season we've ever had. Um, this was the fourth season in Major League Soccer. Um, and this was the second season in a row that we made it to the playoffs. Uh, we won our first ever playoff game in club history, and we actually wound up winning multiple games. And um, for the MLS Cup playoffs, we made it, we were all the way in the semifinals, and we were two or three minutes away from making it to the final and then had it, had it taken away from us uh, really snatched away last minute by Seattle. Um, but we made it incredibly far for that. And then even uh, in, earlier in the season, we wound up making it to the semifinal for the uh, MLS's back tournament, which was in a bubble, which I know we're going to touch on a little bit later. Um, but so we were the only team in the league that made it to the semis for both of those uh, tournaments. So um, I think it was a, a pretty good season overall for us. And I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the work that we were able to do, considering that uh, on my side, we were definitely very much understaffed compared to where we should have been. It's an interesting thing that, isn't it? Because I'm sure everyone, many people have been in a situation where they've not necessarily picked up an official new job role, but they've had certain tasks thrown at them that they, they were, isn't part of the job description. So yeah. for anyone that doesn't know, obviously you've named like three roles there. And I, look, and I know a lot of things will interchange and cross over, but what were some new responsibilities that were sort of thrown at you with the, with the added added jobs? Yeah. So when I was originally just hired as the strength coach, uh, my main role was obviously everything in the gym, uh, the periodization, the planning, uh, the individualization, uh, the injury risk reduction exercises specifically, you know, everything that had to do with the actual gym portion was all on me. Um, and then also the uh, pre-training activation sessions that we would do um, and any prehab and things like that. That was kind of my main role. Um, and so then when I was told that I was going to be doing the other two positions, um, as far as the fitness coach, that meant now I was going to be doing all of the warmups uh, for all of the uh, on-field warmups at least. And then also any sort of uh, fitness programming based on, you know, whatever we were doing within the, the training sessions and where we were, um, you know, generally I like to use the math scores uh, to, to program the fitness. Uh, but kind of programming that, planning that, you know, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, also uh, after training and doing, you know, being responsible for any top offs, whether it's uh, sprint distance, high speed running, things like that. Uh, but then also planning uh, the sessions with the coaching staff, getting together and kind of doing the periodization process um, as far as where we wanted to be loading wise, what, you know, if we wanted to focus more on, you know, opening it up high speed running that day, or if we wanted to have it, you know, um, more intense and focus more on X cells and D cells. So kind of, getting into the preparation process a little bit more. And then from the sports science uh, perspective, my role was basically, now I was going to be 
managing all of the data, not just the collection, the managing, the uploading, but also then the, uh, the analysis and interpretation within uh, our AMS. So we use Kitman Labs and um, basically going through that <clears throat> and utilizing you know, all the different things that there are out there from the graphing perspective, um, but then you know different dashboards, looking at AC ratios, stuff like that. I know there's AC ratios are, you know, some people have certain opinions about them or not, but I use them. I like to use them as it's just one tool in the toolbox, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows me to kind of get a, a quick snapshot and then dive deeper into certain analytics and certain metrics that we want to look at with certain players, uh, if they are too high or too low on certain things. Um, and so just kind of doing all that, analyzing it, and then creating a daily report to the coaches to sum up training, but also sum up the week, you know, where we're at within the week, the, uh, the weekly accumulation of everything where certain players are, and then recommendations for kind of what should be next, uh, for the next couple of days of training. Um, and so all of that stuff is stuff that kind of got added onto my plate that wasn't there at the beginning of the season before, uh, before the shutdown with COVID. And then before the, our, my two staff members left. And I know a, a lot of people will be relating to that right now in terms of adi- yeah. having extra responsibilities and um, tasks to, to get on with. But one thing I think would be good to cover, Adam, is how you manage your time. So how do you, because obviously you've got, you've got the work of three people there, if not more. So um, how do you prioritize? How do you manage your time? What was your sort of structure around that for, for getting the most out of what you were doing? Yeah, I think for me, Initially, when I was told that I was, you know, going to be taking on these three roles, I put in a lot of calls to uh, mentors and then also friends and colleagues around the league and just said, hey, this is my new role. This is what I'm doing. You know, what are your suggestions? What's your advice? You know, because, again, this is this was my first year back in MLS, um, first of all, after not being in it for seven or eight years. Um, And so a lot had changed. And so I was just excited to come in as a strength coach. And now I'm doing everything. Um, and so a lot, some really good advice that I got from some mentors and some, and some colleagues was basically just to try and keep it simple, uh, and not get lost in the weeds or the minutia of certain things. And that's something that I can definitely be guilty of at times, especially the, the analytics part. Like I, mm-hmm. I love the data, um, and I can just focus on something really, um, like I said, minute basically, and, and not necessarily something that is going to, um, that we need to use, utilize to uh, bring about a change, basically. So what I did is I focused on the, on the big rocks, you know, for each position. So again, from the strength standpoint, what are the big rocks that we need to do? What, you know, we, the lifting schedule, indiv- in, trying to individualize it when I can, but also as we'll get into later, the constraints of the schedule this season didn't necessarily allow for us to have like a, a legitimate kind of lifting program, unfortunately, but like focusing on what can we do? We, in and week out from a strength standpoint, from a injury risk reduction standpoint, what are the things that need to be included in every single training program um, in the gym and how can I do that? And then from a fitness standpoint, okay, like what are the things that I need to do from a warm up standpoint? What, what can I microdose to add in that we're not getting in the gym that we can focus on and, and specialize in certain parts of the warm up every single day so that I know that we're getting speed mechanic work or acceleration work or things like that that I'm basically sneaking in there, you know, that the players don't really notice because it's just part of the warmup. Um, and then also from a data standpoint, okay, what are the main things that the, that the coaches like to see? Um, so what can I focus on there as far as the coaches report and discussing it with them? Um, and then 
how can I translate that to the field as far as, like I said, top offs and, and things like that? You know, what are the metrics the coaches like to see? How can I communicate that with them? But then also they see that we're working on those things specifically or that I'm keeping the players, you know, engaged and, and them wanting to make sure that they're where they need to be to perform at their highest level. Um, and then also what are the things that myself and the athletic training staff, our medical side, what are the, what are the metrics that we're looking at from an injury risk reduction standpoint, you know, to make sure that the players are where they need to be, or if we're doing return to play or anything like that. So it was really just what are the main things that I can focus on that are going to cause um, the most amount uh, or have the most amount of um, effect on the players on a daily basis, as opposed to all these other cool things that I could maybe do that I'm reading and research and whatnot that maybe I can put into action, but maybe I can't because I just don't have time. Mm. Um, and then just figuring out on a daily basis when I get there, okay, what do we have today? Do we have a gym session? Okay. I need to set up the gym, need to get everything done from a sports science standpoint, as far as the analytics, like everything is, is good to go look at everything, look at all the players who who's at risk right now, or who do we need to do extra work for, write everything down. What are we doing in the training session today? Okay. What am I planning for? Uh, um, warm up. Okay. Go set that up, come back in, do the pre-activation with the players. Then we go out on the field, do the warm up, do the top offs, come back do the gym session. And then after the players leave, then I can sit down and actually look at the data from that day and come up with the report and everything. And that was kind of how I prioritize my days on a, on, on a weekly basis. And then you just mentioned before about some of the constraints that you've been under in the role and the, and the league has been under as well. But do you want to just go into some um, things that have really been impacted in your role and your practice as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> um, just in general, from ML from an MLS standpoint, I mean, you know, once like everything got shut down, um, but we were still having the players, you know, train on their own. Uh, they couldn't come to the facility or anything. This was in March, um, and so back then I was still just the strength coach. But it was okay. How am I going to get these guys to ma maintain as much as possible so and, and most of them didn't have any weights or any sort of equipment at their house or at their apartments so we started out with just body weight exercise that I would have them do you know four gym sessions a week you know and it's all body weight and then eventually we were able to get them some lighter weights and then you know progress from there and then once they once we came back to training they still weren't allowed to, to utilize our gym um, because of our state restrictions. So our state, Minnesota, um, had some of the, the tougher, toughest um, restrictions in the country as far as um, people being together in, in places like gyms. And so we weren't even allowed to utilize that. So they were still having to just do their own, you know, kind of at home stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden we left and went to the uh, MLS's back tournament in Orlando where we were in the bubble. Uh, and then, so obviously there's a lot of constraints there and we want to be in there for 41 days. You know, I don't think anyone, um, thought that we were going to be there that long. Um, but we want to be, you know, going on a run and being there for a very long time. So even just with that, I mean, um, from a planning standpoint and that, and by that point I was doing everything. So trying to figure out how are we going to fit in gym sessions? They had these makeshift gyms there, you know, like, where is this going to fit certain days? Um, training sessions and gym sessions uh, like overlapped because the, the league just gave you times that you were able to have the gym and, or have training and they just rotated stuff. So they didn't ever look and see, okay, these guys are training at 1030. So they can't have a 10 AM gym session, you know? And so just trying to figure out stuff like that, because you're sharing the gyms with two other teams um, as well. And, and you're all in this big resort. So trying to keep the guys engaged, you know, was another thing that was, that was 
very difficult um, because they all wanted to go home and see their families, you know, especially after about the third week. Um, and so just things like that. But then even just once we left the, the bubble, you know, and started continued the season, the constraint, the biggest thing was just the fixture congestion. I mean, we would have, you know, five games in 15 days and then a week off and then another five games in 15 days. But, and, and the games were all over the place. Sometimes we play Saturday, sometimes Sunday, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday. I mean, it was all over the place. Um, so again, from a planning standpoint, especially as far as, you know, um, gym periodization, but also on field periodization. I mean, we, we were never having full training weeks, you know, we were always play recover, you know, match day minus one play recover match day minus. I mean, it was just kind of up and down, up and down. So it, it was obviously from a recent, what you read in a lot of the research, you know, the least ideal thing possible, cause you're just having these spikes in load and then nothing. And then a spike in load, um, and then on top of that, like our travel, um, you know, they limited everything to all the, the games that we played were teams that were basically all within a three hour flight of us. Um, and so we only played teams kind of in the cent central part of the country, um, but it was all because it's all same day travel. So we would literally fly in the morning of the game, you know, go to a hotel, eat lunch, maybe take a nap for an hour or two, and then we'd have a pregame meal. Um, and then go to the stadium play and then get on the flight and come back home. Um, mm -hmm. cause it was all chartered flights. So, so again, obviously not ideal from a performance standpoint to fly in the day of a game. Um, especially if you're flying two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes, you know, from here, from Minnesota to Houston. Um, so things like that were difficult. And then obviously just dealing with the, with the COVID testing. I mean, we were testing every 48 hours, uh, and then mm -hmm. all, always the day before a game. So I think by the end of the season, we were counting and we had done, uh, and we were doing the, the nose test. Um, we tested 120 times, you know, by the end of the season. Um, and so obviously that's, that's just something that you have to deal with. It becomes a, a regular occurrence, but nobody likes to, to get something, you know, shoved up their nose. So the players and the, the staff and everything. So, um, and then on top of that, I think uh, what, what you and I talked about earlier there were times where we couldn't even train for several days because of COVID concerns, if there were outbreaks or anything like that. Um, so we would, we would just not be able to even show up or train or play. Um, or there were times where we had, you know, two, three days off. And then our first day back, we had a game, mm. you know, and so we just go out and play um, yeah. and without really preparation for the game because we weren't able to do it. And so obviously that's not ideal. Um, and there was another time where I think we had one day of individual training before a game. We had like three or four days off because of COVID stuff. And then the guys came back and they had to be separated, you know, into like 20 meter blocks basically and do an individual training session. And then the next day we'd go and play a game. So again, not ideal from a, from a preparation or performance standpoint. Um, but that was just the reality with, uh, with the 2020 season in MLS. Um, and so even from a planning standpoint, like I was saying earlier, I think uh, our state was, was pretty strict on our regulations. So, there was stuff like even when we could get back in the gym, we couldn't have everybody in the gym at the same time because there was too many people in a small space. And so, you know, have to get creative with what you do, uh, come up with groups uh, for gym sessions. And so they'd have times that they had to cycle in and out and be done by. And so you couldn't really linger. Um, and so it caused some guys to stay there longer, some guys to, you know, be working out with guys that they, you know, aren't necessarily used to working out with or whatnot. You know, it, it, it was just, um, trying to get creative and, and make sure that everyone was able to get 
things done that they needed to, even on a recovery uh, standpoint, you know, cycling and certain recovery stuff. We weren't allowed to use our um, ice baths in our locker room. So we had mm-hmm. to get portable ones and put them outside. And they were the, the individual ones and like fill those up at times. Um, and obviously in Minnesota, it's, it can be really cold, you know, pr- pretty early on in the year. So the guys are sitting in an ice bath and it's, you know, it's basically, um, you know, below freezing already, you know, and so that's not exactly where they want to sit in an ice bath. Um, and so just little things like that, just trying to come up with stuff and, and get creative with the, the pre-training activation sessions. We had to do them in like kind of a turf area so that we could have everybody, um, you know, in there at the same time because it was an open space and, but it's not ideal. So just a lot of little things like that, where, um, in a normal season, you wouldn't have to deal with any of this, but this year it was just, it was kind of par for the course, you know, no pun intended. Yeah, and it, it seems now that, especially in the UK, everything that you're, you've touched on there, fixture congestion, all the testing, the positive test, that's where we're at currently. So this will hopefully be not good timing because obviously no one wants to be going through it, but hopefully it'll be quite relatable to a lot of coaches. Um, the other thing I was going to ask Adam just on that was, what about lessons from 2020? Because I know it's been a it's been a crazy year and it's obviously continuing in 2021 as well. But what about when we do get past this and we get back to a little bit more normality, what are some key lessons you're going to take forward into your practice? Yeah, I think um, the biggest lesson for me uh, that I've learned this year is to be adaptable um, and in, in a lot of different ways. But I mean, first off, you know, no one was planning for the pandemic, obviously. Um, and so the season was stopped. Players needed to keep training. So again, like I talked about, the, the gym sessions were completely different and not ideal the guys were doing their own fitness stuff. Like we had programming, but you know, it's on them to go do it, you know, and they're reporting to us that they're doing it, but um, you know, we have to trust them and they had to do that for like two and a half months, you know, until they finally were able to come back. Um, and then obviously, you know, the MLS is back tournament. We're there for 41 days. Nobody wanted to be there stuck in a hotel resort where you can't leave for 40 days. Um, and then on top of that, the condensed season, it was the most fixture congestion ever. I think uh, I was talking to somebody recently. I think um, it's almost two times as much fixture congestion as there's ever been in, in MLS this year um, because they condensed the season so much at the end. Um, and so obviously all the preparation, annual planning for a normal season, that all goes out the window. So you have to roll with the punches, plan things accordingly. And, and as I said earlier, you have to get really you know super creative. Um, and so you have to be adaptable when it comes to all that and not be so rigid and structured and think, okay, you know, everything I had planned, you know, is, is still going to work because it's not going to, going to work. You have to learn, you have to be able to change stuff. There were times with, for us, with our schedule, they were only rolling out our schedule six games at a time. So there was no way to plan a couple months in advance, you know, what you're going to do or where you're going to be in, if you're going to be able to periodize or whatnot, like you basically would get two and a half, three weeks worth of games and that's all that they would give you. And then you would have a week off and then they would give you another six, six games. And so you never had any idea when you were going to be able to do, you know, pretty much anything from a performance uh, standpoint. So again, it's, it, it's learning to just kind of be able to, to roll with the punches and, and do things on the fly, I think um, was one of the things that I learned the most. Um, and also just having to be adaptable when it comes to the role with the club, obviously, as I touched on earlier, you know, this was my first year with the club, um, my first year back in MLS after a while. Um, and then I go from being just the strength coach where I'm responsible for the gym stuff to doing all three prefer, uh, positions in the performance department. And so, um, you know, like I said, learning kind of 
how to prioritize what's most important for each role and focus on the big rocks. Um, because, you know, uh, if I didn't, then I could have, like I said, easily gotten lost in the weeds and I would have lost the players, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's the other thing. The biggest lesson was for me this year, the biggest lesson when it comes to what I was doing on a daily basis, it, um, the most important thing was getting buy-in from the players. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it wasn't necessarily what I was doing in the gym, on the field from a, you know, evidence-based standpoint or anything like that, that the research that I was reading or trying to implement, like it was literally get the buy-in from the players because this was my first year with the team. They only had known me for, you know, about two months of preseason, the first two weeks of the season before everything got shut down. And then we all went our separate ways while we were all in lockdown. Um, and then the next time they saw me, you know, was when I took over everything. Um, because when we initially started back to training, I wasn't even coming to training because that's when the gym wasn't available. And so, you know, our, the bosses, the higher up said, you know, we don't need an extra person there, you know, for COVID reasons. So we don't need our strength coach, um, that just keep programming from, uh, remotely. So then all of a sudden my first day back, you know, with the team is when they announced, Hey, Adam is taking over everything because, um, you know, these people are leaving. And so it, I, I easily could have lost the players because, you know, my former boss who was the head fitness coach, um, this was his third season with the team. So the guys all who had been there, <coughs> excuse me, knew him really well. Um, they knew the, the sports scientists really well. This was his third season with the team too. So um, it would have been very easy if I'd come in and said, you know, okay, we're changing this or we're doing that differently or whatnot for the, for the players to just say, well, you know, screw off like this guy. We don't really know him that well. Like, you know, we, we don't trust him. Um, and so what I needed to do was really win them over um, and show them, basically that I was in their corner and not necessarily the coaches, even though, you know, strength coach coaches in the title. Um, I needed to kind of show them that everything that I was doing from the gym work to the top offs on the field, you know, to, you know, the fitness programming, et cetera, was for their benefit from a performance standpoint, but also from an injury risk reduction standpoint. Um, and it was never as punishment because I know a lot of players feel like when they have to do extra work or when they're asked to do certain things, that it's a punishment thing and it's, and it's coming down from the coaches. And I'm sure that there are situations where that is true. Um, but my whole goal was to kind of show them like that that's not where I was coming from, that everything that I was doing um, was, was to help them. And so at the end of my first week, I pulled uh, our two team captains aside and then two other kind of veteran uh, players who had a lot of influence in the locker room. I pulled them, the four of them aside and just had a discussion and basically said, exactly what I just said to you, you know, that I'm here for you guys, you know, nothing I'm going to do is ever going to be a punishment thing. Like I'm here to make you better, but also to keep you fit and healthy and strong and playing well. So you're performing at your best. If you're up for a new contract, you can earn that new contract, you know, that you're going to, you know, have your best performance um, as far as number wise uh, this season, like whatever it is, whatever your goals are, like I'm here to help you. Um, And I think, that went a pretty a, a long way because that was right before we left for the uh, tournament in Orlando. And then being in Orlando, you know, we were around each other all day, every day for 40 days. Um, and so then I could pull certain players aside here and there, talk to them a little bit more um, and get to know them on a human level. And yeah. I think once I did that and was able to relate to them and again, they saw like, Hey, this is a, this is a good guy. He's a cool guy. Like, and he also has my intention, best intentions, you know, at heart. Um, they really, kind of opened up. And by the time we were finishing up in, in Orlando, you know, I think I had pretty much the whole team bought into what I was doing. And so it made the rest of the season 
once we got back to Minnesota and um, had all these different constraints on for the regular season, it made my job a heck of a lot easier because everybody kind of knew who I was, what I was about and, and, and what my role was and what I was doing and that it was for mm-hmm. them. Um, and so when I asked them to do stuff, you know, I rarely got any kind of um, dissension whatsoever. It was more just like, okay, yep, I'll do it. You know, I got you. No big, no big deal. And that, that made things, you know, very smooth and, and um, easy for me to be able to focus on, on the players. Um, and I think that contributed to why we were able to have uh, um, so much success down, down the stretch for us. Yeah, it's really interesting that, isn't it? And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that in terms of um, taking some positives out of like bubbles and lockdowns and things like that. It has gave us a bit of extra time to get to know the people, not the players so much, isn't it? And I think that is so important. We've spoken about it before on the podcast about cultural architects mm-hmm. and utilising certain members of the squad and everyone will be able to pick them out of their squads that can have an impact. And that's exactly what you've done there, isn't it? Captains, big personalities, you get them on side, then the message will spread and you can utilize, you can get your message across them better, can't you? Yeah, 100%. Awesome. And then we were also going to touch on with your work you do with students. So am I right in saying you do some some lecturing, some talks to to students? Yeah, I just uh, just started doing that Fairly recently, I think um, past few years, I've, I've come in as a guest lecturer at USC uh, in Los Angeles um, as part of their uh, master of sports science uh, program. Um, and that was just through some connections that I had there. I was asked to, to give a talk um, and I really enjoy uh, speaking to students, whether it's undergrad or, or graduate students. It's, it's something that I've become a little bit more passionate about, I think. And so um, during the lockdown, actually, I, I reached out to all the local universities in Minnesota and then a few other ones that I have some connections with and just said, you know, hey, this is who I am. This is my experience. If you have if you would like me to come in and, and talk about any anything in the performance realm or high performance or sports science, whatever you want, uh, I'd be glad to because I'd like to expose these students to it, um, because unfortunately, from from my standpoint uh, here in the States, uh, we don't necessarily do a good enough job of exposing our students, especially undergrads, to uh, the field of just performance in general or even sports science and the, the, the data and the analytics. Um, it's very, from, from my perspective, uh, when I was coming up through, it was very much, you know, kinesiology or exercise science, or maybe there's um, a track that's just uh, SNC. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and even master's programs, a lot of them are just SNC, you know, or just general kines or general exercise science. Um, and when I was looking around at a lot of different ones, there weren't a whole lot of master's programs um, that really included that sports science component, which is something that I was really, really interested in from my experience back in LA when I was working with Chivas. Um, and so that's why I went to the, to, did my master's through the university uh, in Australia, the ACU. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do here in the States as much as possible is just let students know, hey, this is something you can do. And this is what I do on a regular basis. And this is what it's like to be an applied sports scientist or an applied strength coach or, you know, performance coach, whatever the, the title is that you want to call it. Um, and I've had a lot of real positive uh, responses from it. And so um, it's just something that I've been doing uh, a lot more. And, and hopefully, you know, there's more people like me out there that are trying to trying to, you know, pass that knowledge on. And it's more just, hey, this is a, this is an avenue that you can take if you like performance if you like numbers you don't necessarily have to be the gym guy or girl you know you don't necessarily 
you can be head fitness coach, you can be the sports scientist, you can be a data analyst, you can, you know, there's a lot of different routes you can take and just kind of trying to let them know that it's not just physical therapy or occupational therapy or, you know, um, personal training. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of different things that you can do within uh, under this umbrella. And, and so that's something that I've really um, focused on the past couple of years, which has been great. I just wanted to give a very quick update on our online community. So for anyone who's not a member of our online community, we've got an online platform that um, has webinars, presentations, uh, online forum, and we also have a WhatsApp group for all of our members as well. We've got coaches from all over the world, from over in the States, from leagues around Europe, as well as as, um, plenty of coaches from the UK as well. There's 19 webinars now available on the community to watch back on demand and 10 presentations from our networking events across the UK. And we will be adding to those this year. A big focus of ours this year is to add to the content on the community. There's also some discounts with some of our partners available on the community as well. So if you want to become a community member, you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, sign up, make sure you go through the full sign up process on the community and that will give you one month free. You can check it out. You can see if you like it. And then if you remain a member after that month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And you'll continue to get all access to the current content on there, but also all future content that is going to be going on in 2021 as well. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. I will leave you to part two in the podcast with Adam Parr and he goes into some of his lessons uh, from 2020, which uh, are great lessons. So I hope you enjoy it. And obviously without referring to everything that we've covered so far on the podcast, because I'm sure there's plenty of lessons that students can take from everything we've touched on so far. We were going to talk about some advice from yourself that you potentially have spoke about already or that you would give to students, whether it's post-grad, undergrad, to thrive in like a high-performance environment and to make make sure that they're ready to be able to cope with everything that we spoke about in the podcast so far? Yeah, I think uh, my biggest piece of advice uh, for any students uh, who are starting out and even people who are currently in um, SNC or performance roles is just get as much experience uh, wearing as many hats as possible. Um, and so whether it's starting out or just at any point, I think working at a club or organization where you have to do everything, you know, where there isn't that big of a budget, um, or it's a lower level, whatever it is, I think that's vitally important because that's, that's where I was able to really thrive was when I was at the, the second division team in Reno and I was doing everything, uh, on my own. I was, I was the strength coach, the fitness coach, the sports scientist. I was handling nutrition for the players. I mean, it was um, pretty much everything under the sun, under the performance umbrella uh, I was doing. And it was also, excuse me, at the same time that I was finishing up my master's degree. And so all the stuff that I was reading and the research and the stuff I was learning, I was able to apply like literally the next day with, with my athletes, which was invaluable to me. Um, but I think just being able to do as many roles or wear as many hats as possible to get that experience Um, You don't necessarily have to specialize in all of those different areas, but I think it makes you more employable in the future. And um, (laughs) I think I know for a fact that, um, you know, that's part of what got me the job uh, in Minnesota. You know, 
know, I got hired as a strength coach, but uh, my bosses, part of the reason why they, they were so keen on, on bringing me in was because I had the experience of doing all of those other things. Um, and so that way, like, you know, like me, like you get hired as a strength coach, but you're capable of assisting in all the other areas. So you're capable of assisting in the, the sports science and the data standpoint, you're capable of assisting in the fitness programming, you know, or the warmups or whatever else you're doing. Um, and so you can help your, your fellow colleagues that you're working with and assist in those areas. But then also something happens like 2020 and, you know, people leave and it's COVID and whatnot, and you have to do everything. Like I, I was able to do everything because I had the experience of doing everything. If I had just come in where I've been specializing in just the, the gym uh, standpoint for the past several years, um, or just the sports science standpoint, and then they asked me to do everything else, I would have had the experience, <coughs> excuse me. And I don't think I would have been anywhere near as comfortable trying to do everything as I was this year be, because I had done all those roles at lower levels. And it was just like, okay, well now it's just, it's a much bigger club and there's more at stake and more on the line, but you know, I can do this. Uh, and I was able to. And so I think, um, for anybody starting out or anybody, any, any point in the, in their performance, you know, career, having a, an experience where you're able to do as many things as possible, I think is only going to serve you better in the future and make you more employable. Yeah, hundred percent. I fully agree with that as well. Um, Adam, we'll move on to some of our, our quick fire questions on the end of the podcast now. So the first one being, um, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far, whether that be mentors and um, peers, like who, who are some standouts for you? Yeah, I think, um, from a mentor standpoint, I've been very lucky and had, had some great ones. Um, my first mentor, uh, was, I think I mentioned him earlier. His name is Jim Liston. He was the strength coach at Chivas USA. And then when he went to Toronto, he's the head of sports science there. It has been for the past four or five seasons. And he's, he's a legend in MLS. He's been working in MLS for you know, 20 years. He was the strength coach at LA galaxy back in the day and, and, you know, won a lot of things there and then went to Columbus and won a title there. And then he was with me and Chivas and then went and did the head of sports science in Toronto. And they've, you know, been a powerhouse for, for five years or so and, and had a season where they won the treble a few years ago and made it to the final of CONCACAF champions league. So, I mean, he's, He's fantastic and has always been great. Um, and then uh, more recently, uh, one of my mentors is this guy named Ron Chenault, and he was the head of performance at San Jose when I was um, working in Reno. And so because we were the affiliate, um, basically everything that I was doing on a, from a performance standpoint, we were kind of copying what they were doing in San Jose so that we could filter everything you know, top down so that everything from academy to our second team, which is what I was in Reno, to the first team, it was all very similar. So the players got used to doing the same things. And then we had the same processes and structures in place. Um, and so he was, he was very uh, influential on a lot of the things that I'm still doing. Um, and he's now currently the, actually the um, head athletic trainer for the U S men's national team. Um, and then my, uh, my current like biggest mentor right now who I've been lucky to work with and, and, and not work with, but, you know, have as a mentor in the past couple of years, uh, his name's Darcy Norman. Uh, and he's currently the head of performance for the U S men's national team. Um, before that, you know, he worked for the German national team for a long time, winning a world cup with them. And he was at Bayern Munich for several years. And then he was the head of performance at AS Roma. Um, and it just so happens that, uh, when he left Italy and moved back to the States, he lives, um, outside of uh, Tahoe in California, 
was about 35 minute drive from Reno. Uh, and so I just reached out to him and just said, Hey, can I, can I buy you a beer and talk some shop? And, uh, and he was open to it and we got along really great. And, and basically the, my entire time in Reno, we would get together once a month or once every two months and just, you know, have coffee or have beers and kind of talk shop. And, um, he also is a, con a consultant for Kitman labs. So he, you know, was able to help me with a lot of the data analysis and a lot of the cool things I was able to do in that. And we've just had a, a really good relationship ever since. Um, and so he's definitely been very influential on me just with his experience. Um, it, it's been vital. Uh, as far as non-mentors, I think one of my biggest influences um, is uh, Brett Bartholomew. If you're familiar with him, um, obviously he wrote Conscious Coaching and he has the Art of Coaching website and everything. Uh, I, <coughs> excuse me, actually, when I was working in the private sector in Beverly Hills, uh, I actually got to train alongside him at this like boutique kind of celebrity gym uh, that I was working at. Um, and he was there too, training clients um, privately. And we got to work alongside each other for about six or seven months. It was, it was at the time that he actually released conscious coaching um, before he left and moved to Georgia. Um, and so we got to know each other pretty well. And he's I'm, to this day, probably the, the best strength coach I've ever you know, been around um, as far as just what he does uh, and his organization and everything. Um, but from a kind of a psychological and, um, you know, sociological standpoint, everything that he puts out for, from the conscious coaching standpoint has been very influential on me as far as getting buy-in. Um, and just, again, like I talked about earlier, being able to relate to my players um, and, and all of his, his educational pieces that he puts out, I think are fantastic in his podcasts and um, so I'm a big fan of his and he's a, he's a good buddy of mine. So that's great. Um, and then I think research standpoint, a couple of influences for me, um, Stu Cormack, who, uh, is pretty big in the S and C space and has had a lot of research. Uh, he also is one of the main professors, uh, at my program at ACU. And so I got to learn a lot from him, um, and meet him several times when I went out to Australia. And then when he came out to the States, um, and a lot of the research that he does on, on the S and C side is, has kind of been big for me. And then also from, uh, from a research standpoint, uh, I'm a big follower of, uh, Martin Buchheit, um, and all of the stuff that he's put out while he was at PSG and before that. And then, you know, now I think he's actually with Kitman labs now too, I believe. Um, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that he's put out from a fitness standpoint, I think has been very influential on me. So I'd, I'd say those are all the, the biggest influences for me so far. Some big names in there. And Darcy was mentioned just a couple of episodes ago when Mike Boyle was on as well. So he was talking about the work he did with, with Mo Salah. So, um, yeah, some big names. Some some people that if people haven't followed their work, they need to go and check out straight away. Um, especially, like you said, Brett, definitely. And, and his book is, is top notch. So um, the next one, Adam, what would you say your biggest strength is as a coach? Um, this is something that I had to think about a little bit. And, and I think to be honest, it's changed, uh, after, after reflecting on the 2020 season, I think my biggest strength as a coach is my ability to relate to my athletes and have, you know, meaningful, um, human conversations and connections. And I think a lot of that comes from, uh, a lot of Brett Bartholomew's work, uh, and, and kind of following that and obviously the conscious coaching stuff. But like I said, this year, the biggest thing for me was, was achieving buy-in with the players so that I didn't lose them from day one once I took over everything. Um, and so finding different motivation um, for them and, and using different tactics to kind of relate. Um, but I think also no, the more and more I think about it, um, my ability to, to, to 
connect with them comes from my time working in the private sector uh, and having my own fitness company and doing a lot of one-on-one, you know, personal training and performance training and things like that. Um, you know, because when I was doing that, if you're doing one-on-one, you have to have a, you're, you're having a conversation with your client the whole time, you know, whether it's a, um, you know, a, a soccer mom or a, a youth athlete or a college athlete, you know, who's back for the summer, like whatever it is you have to like, you be able to talk to them the whole time and, and have a conversation and motivate them enough. And, and also kind of peel back the layers on what really is driving them and things like that. Um, so that we can bring about change and, and achieve their goals. And so I think my experience with that, even though when I initially went back to the team setting, I thought it was going to be, um, uh, a negative that I had missed so much time, you know, from the team, from the team setting. Um, now that I'm looking at, it, I think that that's a huge positive and a huge plus. And that's part of why I'm able to connect with my players so much is because I have so much experience just having conversations while people are going through their gym sessions and whatnot. And so now I'm able to do that, whether it's during a lift, um, whether it's on the field, in the hotel, when we're there, you know, for 40 days or when I'm just knowing how to connect with someone and how to have a conversation. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about soccer or what we're doing performance wise. It's, you know, (laughs) excuse me, how's the family? Like what's going on here? What's doing that? Like what, you know, and even stuff like when on the morning questionnaire, when you see that somebody has, you know, put a two as far as their sleep instead of their normal four or five, you know, what's going on. Oh, you know, the baby was up all night. Okay. You know, little things like that, where it's just, you know, having, having normal conversations, um, I think has become my biggest strength, you know, in this past year. And, and I just realized that recently. So it's been a good thing. Awesome. Yeah. I fully agree with that as well. Um, I think that's so important for coaches to, to take in mind. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of people in it throughout this time as well, isn't it? Something that a lot of people will take forward, hopefully. Um, the other thing, the next one is what is the what's the sort of standout bit of CPD you've done recently? So whether that's a webinar, podcast, articles, possibly some research that you've read, like what's is there any standout? Um, I think in general, the, the the most interesting stuff for me, like recently, has just been all the all the stuff on max speed. Um, I'm a big, big speed and power uh, guy, and that was kind of one of my biggest goals with coming into the team this year, uh, if it had been a normal season was to really try and improve the majority of the team's, uh, speed and power over the course of the season. Um, and so just a lot of the stuff that's coming out showing that, you know, max speed and, and getting the exposures to, you know, 95% and above and things like that, like multiple times a week, or at least once a week and the, the reduction to injury risk that that, that helps with and, and combining that with Nordics, I think is, um, it's very interesting for me. So I, I like reading a lot of the research on the max speed, but um, as far as the CPD, I mean, I did uh, during, during the lockdown, I did the Altus essentials course and that was great. Um, I like a lot of the Altus stuff and, and even relating to some of that speed stuff, you know, just finding different speed mechanics and different drills and things like that, that I can, you know, again, microdose within um, warmups, you know, on the field and stuff was, was really good for me. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it made me, excited for their need for speed course, which I'm planning on doing in the next couple of uh, months. And so again, that relates back to the max speed stuff. That's something that I'm a bit of a nerd about. And so I love it. Um, And so I think that's, that's kind of where I'm focused at right now, as far as all the CPD stuff. And then um, again, like I mentioned earlier, most of the stuff on Brett's site at Art of Coaching, I've, I've pretty much done almost all of it. 
Um, and so I love all of that stuff and anything that he puts out as well. Brilliant. And then the final one, Adam, um, is the same question, but for, for a coach and a player. So I know we've touched on it before in terms of what your strengths are, but what would you say the most important traits that a coach should have and then also that a player should have that make them um, someone that you can work with and get good results with? Yeah, I think, again, this is something that probably has changed after 2020, but for me, the most important trait or character, characteristic to have as a coach is just being adaptable. And like I talked about earlier, you know, being willing to change things on the fly, to not be rigid in your planning process or your, your structure, the way that you're trying to progress athletes or the team throughout the year, I think, you know, because there's always going to be things that come up. There's always going to be changes to the schedule. There's, you know, or there's going to be stuff that comes down from the coaches that, you know, flies in the face of what you're wanting to do. And I think the more you're willing to be adaptable and, and kind of be willing to change things and, and not necessarily compromise on what your beliefs are, you know, from an evidence-based standpoint, but how can you work within those constraints and be creative and be adaptable, I think is, <coughs> excuse me, is the most important characteristic that I see for right now. Um, and I'm taking a lot of it from my own experience. And then I think for a player, uh, thinking about it, I think it's, it's being willing to learn from your mistakes. Um, and whether that's on the field, you know, in a game or, or in a training session, um, whether that's in the weight room, uh, whether it's in the locker room with your, with your fellow teammates, you know, whatever it is, I think um, being humble enough to admit that you've made a mistake or, or realize that you've made mistakes, um, but then also being willing to learn and say, and say okay, I'm going to change this. So whether if it's on the field and you made a mistake in a, in a, um, a drill or whatnot, you know, learning from it or working on it, making sure that you're going to do it again. Or if it's, you know, you come back from off season and you're not necessarily as fit or as strong as you should be because you didn't follow the program that well. Okay. I had a few players who admitted that to me. And so now that we're in the off season now, um, they asked me to check in with them more regularly and, and keep up on them. And that came from them and they had to recognize it. And so now, you know, I've been checking in on that and they've been both, both of the guys who I talked to are, really adamant that they're doing a good job and, and they're going to come back, you know, in a, in a really good place for next year. Um, and so that, that took, they had to have some humility there and, and admit that, you know, they didn't come in in the right place this year uh, and it might've affected their performance a little bit. And so things like that, um, I think overall, um, and then even, like I said, just in, in the locker room relating to your fellow teammates, you know, talking to the other staff, you know, whatever it is, like just being able to admit, when you've made a mistake and realize it and, and kind of course correct, I think is what makes uh, a good pro, a good pro, to be honest. Brilliant. Awesome information in there, mate. I, I think that, like I say, it's very relatable, a lot of stuff that you spoke about. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on and giving up your time. Cause I know, like I said, you've come off the back of one hell of a journey across the country and also off the back of COVID as well. So um, big thank you for you to giving up your time and coming on, mate. It's, is there anywhere, just finally, if people have got questions uh, or they want to reach out to you, they possibly want to follow your work or maybe even get in touch where we said about the students getting getting in touch and getting you in to speak, like where's the best place to contact you? Contact you? Yeah, I thought there's, there's two places for me uh, that I'm pretty active on and, and go on fairly regularly. And if it's, if it's something, you know, just getting in touch or following or whatever, I think Instagram for me is the easiest place. Um, my uh, my handle is is at a 
par P A R R fitness. Um, pretty simple. And I'm on that, you know, multiple times a day. I'm not the type of person that posts a lot of stuff, like what I'm doing in the gym with the players or things like that. That's just, I honestly haven't had time to do that, uh, to be honest, but, uh, I'm on it regularly. So if you, you know, follow me or send me a, a direct message on there, I'm really, really quickly able to get back to you on that. Um, and then, um, if you want to send more, like a little bit of a more in-depth message to talk a little bit more, I think, um, the other places, LinkedIn, uh, and finding me on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm usually on that multiple times a day as well. Um, and, and pretty good about getting back to you as long as I'm not in the midst of driving across the country. Like I was, <laughs> um, yeah, I think those are the two places that, that I'm most active and, and easily uh, available. And then if you, and then if we ca- talk a little bit more, I can give you my, my email address and all that stuff. So it's a lot easier to get a hold of me there too. Brilliant, mate. Well, thank you very much, Adam, for coming on and giving up your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll stay in touch and all the best for, for the new season. Yeah, thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, mate. All right, have a good one. Thank you to you guys for listening to episode 119 with Adam. It was great to have him on. Big thank you to Adam for giving up his time. Like I mentioned in the podcast, he's literally off the back of a a ridiculously long trip across the States where he spent loads of time in his car and also off the back of COVID as well. So you probably heard him coughing a few times and I know he was struggling a little bit in the podcast. So I really appreciate him giving up his time and coming on and doing the podcast. And I just, I said at the start of the podcast, big thank you as well to Walter Grandes um, for the recommendation of Adam. You can go and check Adam out on social media. So he's on he's on LinkedIn. So you can go and link up with him on LinkedIn. Just search Adam Parr and Parr is spelled P-A-R-R. Or you can go onto Instagram. He's Adam Parr Fitness on Instagram. So go and give him a search on there as well. Um, lessons for me from this one. We called the episode Adapt and Overcome because I think that was a big focus of it, especially from 2020 as well constantly having to adapt to different things, different announcements, different uh, challenges that are popping up and obviously not just adapting but overcoming those challenges as well. He mentioned the strength of his network and obviously he put Walter in, in that bracket as well, something that we've repeated a number of times and obviously the big reason why we have our networking events um, available to coaches as well, which hopefully we will have some news on very shortly on some events coming up in 2021. Not getting lost in the weeds, he mentioned as well. So where he said about taking on extra job roles, um, he had to prioritise some of the work that um, was essential and that was needed and then had to drop off maybe some of the things that he he mentioned about some of the research that he enjoys doing, but possibly didn't give that bang for buck at that current time. So that was in, really interesting. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, Just tying in with that, he said about focusing on the big rocks as well. And that relates uh, quite nicely to when I spoke to Tom Noon. If you're not listening to that episode, I think it's episode 98 possibly. Tom also mentioned about that, how he prioritizes certain things that he focuses on. Um, The use of cultural architects. And this was something, he didn't use that phrase, but obviously if anyone's listened to the podcast or heard Damien Hughes speak before, um, or the High Performance Podcast, which if you haven't listened to any of those, I do recommend you listen to those because they're absolutely quality. But he spoke about using cultural architects, how when he first went into Minnesota, he met with the captains, he met with some big personalities in the changing room to get them on side and get that buy-in. And that was basically utilising cultural architects, which I think was really interesting because it was possibly something that he hadn't heard Damien speak about, but this was like a real-life example of it. Um 
And then also human conversations. So getting to know our players at a human level. At the end of the day, they are humans that play football. Um, they're not just footballers. So we need to get to know them. That's what creates relationships. That's what what's, creates buy-in. Um, and again, to, to talk about the High Performance uh, podcast, I've just listened to the one with the, and I can't remember his name. I apologize on that. But the South, the South African rugby captain, he spoke, speaks about this, um, that coaches get to know him personally, players get to know him personally, and then the players will go above and beyond protecting them and performing at such a high level to, to work for the teammates. So I think that was a really, really important point from Adam. I'd love to hear your takeaways from this. A few people have reached out on uh, some recent podcasts, especially with Mike Boyle, um, with Anna as well. So please reach out and let me know some, some of your takeaways from this episode as well. It'd be great to hear from you. And please, as always, do your best to give it a share. Send it out to other practitioners. Share it on your story on Instagram, um, on Twitter. Give it a retweet of a short comment on some of your biggest takeaways from the podcast. I really do appreciate every single one of you sharing it and the audience is growing all the time. And that's a big thank you to all of the listeners. So a huge thank you again for listening to the podcast and I'll speak to you again in episode 120 next week.